I stumbled upon this quote from Michelle Obama and it struck, it made me stop and really made me think and really, it really made me acknowledge areas where I took this for granted. And I think as a people, we need to recognize in her words, communities and countries and ultimately the world are only as strong as the health of their women. And that's how I began. That's how I began part three of my book, talking about women's health and how important it is, how vitally important from an evolutionary perspective, from a health perspective, from a socioeconomic perspective, from the family unit perspective, and communities and countries and ultimately the world are only as strong as the health of their women. Welcome to the Self-Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Hey guys, I am super excited this week to introduce you to one of my dearest friends, Dr. Eric Zielinski. This is an incredible podcast this week where Eric opens up entirely around being called and labeled a coronavirus truther. He talks openly about his struggles and obviously what a lot of us are going through at this time in 2020 where we feel like we've lost our lives, our lifestyles, uh, what was, what could have been, what should have been. And he talks openly and candidly about how on earth he's managed to create a new space, a new possibility, and come to acceptance in the revelation that he himself went through the five stages of grief during this time. He also openly talks about a terrible situation where he appears in the film Netflix documentary series Unwell and talks very openly about how devastated he was around the way he was misinformed, uh, misconstrued, how him and his wife were not portrayed in the way that they were promised. And he felt incredibly let down, especially with the entourage of negative press and comments, being deplatformed from all social media outlets, and really trying to work out coming from a place of service and helping humanity and wanting to be the best he possibly can, to then finding his life turned upside down through this whole pandemic. I think you'll really enjoy it. Dr. Eric Zielinski is a doctor of chiropractic and he specializes especially in public health research and my favorite, aromatherapy. He is a pioneer in the biblical health space and he's the author of the international best-selling books, The Healing Power of Essential Oils and The Essential Oils Diet. He's the executive producer for The Hope for Breast Cancer and also the creator of Essential Oils for Abundant Living Masterclass. With his beautiful wife, Sabrina, he founded naturallivingfamily.com in 2014. And I think when you go to their website and follow them, you'll get to see just what a precious pair they truly are. Buckle in for today's show. It's an incredible one, one of openness, sharing, vulnerability, stepping up, power, strength, grace, gratitude, forgiveness, and most of all, of course, the power of all of these podcasts, and that is the meaning of self-love. Enjoy. 
gorgeous Dr. Eric Zielinski. You know you are one of my greatest mentors, one of my greatest role models, and as you can hear from the introduction, also one of my dearest friends. It is such an honor to have you on the Self Love Podcast. I just want to say welcome and thank you so much for giving me your time. Well, the pleasure is mine, and I wish everyone could have just heard the the pre-interview discussion that we just had for 45 minutes because it was just heaven on earth, and so I just... If if some of that can just get into this talk, everyone, everyone will just be inspired and blessed. It's just been beautiful hearing from you and unbelievable, unbelievable where we're at. Yes. And, um, love you. We it, all do. Oh, well, I love you dearly and your beautiful wife, Sabrina, and your amazing children. And I just, I just think, you know, this is called the self-love podcast and I want to hit you right up at the beginning. What's your definition of self-love? Oh, that's a good question. You know, there's a Bible verse that everyone quotes, and I think it's worthwhile. It's a golden rule. Do unto others as you wish to be done to yourself, right? And love others. How can you love someone if you loathe yourself? How can you be a good neighbor? You know, going back to Mr. Rogers, any of you watch Mr. Rogers, at least in America, we did a lot. How can you be a good neighbor? How can you be a good friend? How can you be a good spouse, an employer, an employee, and treat others with love and kindness if you don't even have the respect and honor for yourself? And to me, it's the fundamental aspect of being, self-love. It is, it's, it's at the core of who we are as humans. It's self-preservation. And I see that with my children. It's all me, 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 me. Well, we get out of that me, 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 me stage and it becomes you, you, you. But ultimately, it starts with me, my ability. You know, my cup runneth over, so to speak. And so what I've tried to do is put myself in a position where I can be a well that isn't filled with stale water, a well that's constantly giving out. And, you know, through divine inspiration, through just how the world works, the more I give, the more I receive. And it's all part of self-love. Service is part of self-love. Helping others is part of self-love. And what a wonderful life that we have. And so there's so many different aspects to it. And there's so many different things that we could do and should be doing. But at the core, without self-love, there's really nothing separating us from primates. And it defines who we are as humans. I couldn't agree more. And I think your role, you mentioned something being a dad. There is something quite profound in becoming a parent mm -hmm. that teaches you the power of role modeling and that you are their greatest teacher. You're the first people they fall in love with. You're the first people that are their teachers. You're the first people who they look up to and learn from. If you could give your children one message, just one message that they could grow up with, what would that be? It's something that I've been trying to teach them through this time, especially as we're all going through this, this global crisis, is that your life has meaning and live every day as if it's your last because you don't know. You cannot guarantee tomorrow. And you have a purpose. And you are destined to do great things. And from that, you know, with four children, I speak a little bit uniquely because we're all like unique snowflakes. No one's the same. 
And so I try to help cultivate and I try to see, okay, what's your gift or your giftings? Where are your, what are you toward? What, what's your mental, your emotional, your spiritual bent? Like where, where are you leaning right now? But the reality is when my life changed and I had a spiritual epiphany about 18 years ago, it was rooted in the fact that I have great meaning. I have great worth. And the world will never be what the world should be and can be until I step up and fulfill my destiny. And, and I try to get that to my children. Like, this world needs you. Everyone needs you to be the best version of you. And when you do, it's not if, but when you do make a mistake, you make it right. You know, it just happened to my son. Great example. It just happened to my son where my son was not listening to his teacher and he was playing with a, a toy called a Beyblade. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's a little thing that just spins. It's like a top. It's like a spinny top thing that goes very fast. And he was doing it at a time when he shouldn't have. The teacher took the toy away and he thought the teacher was going to throw it away. It destroyed him. He goes home, he's crying and he's like, oh, my teacher took my toy. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's make this right. Did you make a mistake? Was it a good choice or bad choice? Again, he's seven years old. Was it a good choice or bad choice? And he goes, a bad choice. I go, well, what do you do? Make it right. So I coached him. We actually role played. And I said, okay, here's what you do. You go to her and say, I'm sorry. Do you forgive me? I mean, think about that. Do you forgive me? Do you forgive yourself? When's the last time you've apologized to yourself for hating yourself? When's the last time you apologized to yourself for looking at yourself in the mirror and said, you're fat, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're good for nothing? Because we think those thoughts at times, or maybe you have, maybe you've been guilty of that. When's the last time you apologized to yourself? And then when's the last time you asked yourself for forgiveness? So I said, apologize and ask for forgiveness. And then... Ask politely, may I have my toy back? And you know, he did it today and he was nervous and he was looking and I actually talked to the teacher about it too. He was looking on the floor and he wasn't paying, you know, he, was, he wasn't being confident. He goes, no, look at me in the eyes. And she coached him through the experience. And again, we didn't plan this together. I just walked him through and she said he was, he was a young man and he looked me in the eyes and I helped him and I gave him his toy back and we're all good. And so, you know, are we making right the wrongs that we do? Are, are we going to people? And oh, the two hardest words to ever say is I'm sorry. Oh boy, pride, right? Are we willing to go to people that we've wronged? And we do. And the people that we make mistakes. And through this crisis, the ugliness of humanity has been highlighted because we are barely hanging on a thread, barely by a thread right now overworked. Overworked meaning our minds are overworked. Some people aren't working. Like that's another thing. Frazzled, burnt out. Our minds are overworking right now. Our emotions cannot settle. Fear, anger, distrust, paranoia. And the worst comes out. You might be lashing out at a spouse. You might treat your children harshly. I know I have. Like I will tell you, I was so stressed, not having sleep, oh, just beyond myself with just overwhelm of what was happening that I did not treat my children with the utmost of love and patience. And I was very short with them, you know, yelling at them or get the bed. And I, 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 could, I was barely in survival mode myself, let alone trying to like deal with, you know, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old, four kids. I was at my wits end. And so you know what I did? 
I first had to apologize to myself and I apologize to my God. I'm a Christian. It's part of what I do. Um, I went to my children and I apologized to them, every one of them. And I'll tell you, my mom, it, it, my dad never apologized about anything that I could remember. It just wasn't in the nature. His dad never apologized about anything. My mom first apologized to me. I think I was 30. And um, that's another story. And I, I want to honor and respect my mom. But, but my mom had a hard go at being a mom. She had a very bad example with her mom. And she was rough on me and my brother. And so she apologized. She was broken. Like here she is 60 years old and it finally hits her. And she's like, I'm so sorry. But up until then, I wasn't raised with a parent telling a child, I'm sorry. I went to each of my kids. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm really stressed out right now. Um, this is really hard. And I know you guys don't understand what's happening because this was when they were at school. So here we are, like out of nowhere, homeschooling four kids. Like I didn't sign up for that, right? I didn't sign up for this global crisis. I didn't sign up for the fact that I couldn't go shopping. I couldn't leave my home, any of this stuff. And I was at my wit's end, Sabrina, right? And then we find out she's pregnant. Whoa, we got a COVID baby? What happened there? Well, outward of love, right? Can't believe that happened. Like, unbelievable. It felt like my whole world was just crashing down to me for a minute until I sat back, I grounded myself, did my prayers and meditations. I, I had to get right. I had to love myself enough to see myself through it and not self-medicate with alcohol or drugs like I used to. Make right my wrongs. And I'll tell you, that was such a burden lifting off my shoulders to go to my seven-year-old, my four-year-old, and say, I'm sorry. And they saw an example in me because, you know, they see mommy and daddy fight, but they also see us make up. They call it moochie kissing. They see us making up and moochie kissing. And so we're here to be examples and we're here to live life in a way where it empowers our children to recognize that we're not perfect, but we need to have the self-respect and self-love and honor for ourselves to allow ourselves the grace to make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I really respect and appreciate it. Two things in there. We have an apology ritual, which we've had in our home for, from a very young age. Both our children grew up with an apology ritual and then the full apology ritual. Mm. And the full apology ritual was having to say their full names, your full name, really saying it. And at the end, which they really disliked was, and I love you. And usually with the and I love you part, we would end up cracking up, which to me, humor <laughs> is such a powerful way to dissipate the energy, I right? I love it. And then forgiveness is something you touched on just before. And, you know, there's a beautiful quote, which I might need to repeat because it's just beautiful, but forgiveness is the scent the violet emits onto the heel that crushed it. Forgiveness is the scent the violet emits onto the heel that crushed it. And when you really think about that, forgiveness is probably one of the most hardest of all human traits, along with saying sorry. So it's interesting you've brought up both of those as a means of one of the greatest things that we could teach our children and, as you say, take on for ourselves. Now, there's one other thing in here that you and I talked about off air, and that's grief. And given the context of the world right now, given many things that you and I have both experienced in our own lives independently and then, of course, within our families and relationships, I'd love for you to explain to us 
what you've gone through over this COVID period and perhaps some of the grieving processes and experience you've had to endure in order to practice the art of not only forgiveness, maybe apology, maybe even more self-love and certainly understanding and respecting and acknowledging the process of grief. So it wasn't, I wish I knew a date, but it's also special that I don't because things just happen. You know, things just, you look back and you're like, well, when did this happen? Well, it was sometime a few months ago, really. And it dawned on me that what I was seeing people experience and why certain people seem to be really struggling and still are and why others weren't, you know, we call it thriving in survival mode where we can thrive during crises and we're testimony of it. I mean, for all intents and purposes, my family and I are thriving. We are unbelievably blessed and fortunate to have created our own little bubble where we're living pretty much as normal as we always have been, barring the fact that now, thankfully, we live close enough to the store where we get our groceries um, delivered to our home because I, I still don't wear a mask. I never wore a mask once. I won't. And that's just where I'm at unless I have to. Like, And I haven't had that situation where I have to. So beside not going to the store, we'll get things delivered. Like, we live very normal. And we had to create, it was hard work at first to create that. And now we have it, it's sacred to us. And I started looking at other people who weren't living as normal as they could and really struggling with all the different mandates and all the different things that they had to do. Not only that, the people struggling with the fear and and just beside themselves, again, panic, beside themselves, losing jobs and all these things. And I saw a, a unique difference. The people, and myself included, that were able to accept truly what was happening and mourn, grieve the loss of whatever it might be. And there's dozens of things that I've had to personally mourn and grieve the last eight, nine months. Those people reach a place of known as acceptance. And so it dawned on me, it's, a, it's something I felt like in the spirit, look up. Again, it's not what I do for my, my, my hobby. I mean, I, I'm looking up on psychology today and psychology text stages of grief. Like, who does that? Well, I did. And I was like, it was, I'm inspired. Like, there was a secret for me. And then, hey, how about this? Call it intuition. Call it being led of the spirit. If you have a crazy thought like that, like, look up the, look up the stages of grief. Just go with it. And the more we obey or listen to or follow the directive of our intuition, of the spirit, of where we're being led, we hear clearly, a little more clearly, where you're led more and you're led in different directions. And it's a place where you find a lot of freedom and you find yourself living in a way where, I don't know, I don't want to get ultra spiritual here, but Welcome to I, I'm just telling you, it is... When you're not subject to listening to the news to find out what's real, when you know where to go to get good information, when you can rely on yourself and not have to rely on XYZ person to be self-reliant, which is why you and I both love essential oils. It's self-reliance on a bottle, why we love gardening, why we love the things that we do. And so I started listening to my intuition. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go on this, this search. And I started reading about the stages of grief. I'm like, that's exactly what I just went through. And what, did, what was I grieving? The loss of my lifestyle. That might sound petty to you, 
but I thankfully I haven't had to grieve the loss of a loved one. I haven't. But the loss of my lifestyle, at that point, the loss of the convenience of having my children go to a school, right? The loss of certain income, the loss of certain freedoms, the loss of all these things that started hitting me. Like, there's a lot of loss here, like death. And the reality is, it, and I ha- I've come to accept this for myself, my way of life, the way that I was living, I don't believe is ever going to happen again. I, I don't believe that. And I, I could be wrong, and I hope I am wrong. But I had to come accept that. But be- before I could accept that, see, in the stages of grief, acceptance is, is, is where the enlightenment happens. It's where you're able to move forward. It's able, you're in a position where you're no longer the victim, you're the victor. It's a place where you can then thrive, not just survive. And when I was looking at my lifestyle and my children's lifestyle, and it might sound petty and judge me if you will, I'm telling you, I grieved the loss of not going to Disney World. And for my family and I, that's sacred for us. We go to Disney World, we have season passes three to four times a year during the breaks at school. And it's, it's like, it's our thing. It's special to us. It's our tradition. And I know it's petty, but you know what? I can't go. And I'm not going to make my children, myself, I just my, don't judge me if you want, you can. I'm not going to make my children wear a mask to go to Disney when it's like 95 degrees in Florida. It's just, I'm not going to do that to my kids. And, and I had to grieve that. I had to grieve the loss. Like, you know, we're not going to go on vacation. Oh, I know it's petty first world problems, but you know what? That was what I was dealing with. And it it brought me to near tears. Like, I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, going through the stages of grief first is denial. How many people, and we talked about this, and, and this is a criticism to my American friends because I'm American. I can't tell you how many people I know in America absolutely believe that this experience that we're going through, this, this outbreak, this crisis, is going to end after the presidential election. They are convinced this is completely political. That's denial. There is no way, shape, or form that the inertia, the energy that has been spread out, and for those of you listening from Australia, I mean, just think about how myopic that is, how short-sighted that is. Like, you're thinking, well, what about us? Like your lives are going to change because President Trump or Biden gets elected? No, no, maybe in like months, years, but this isn't going to stop at the drop of a hat. That's denial. And then when someone gets to the fact of like, okay, it's not going to end. This is going to last a while. And then if you're watching the news, you listen to the medical prophets and you hear folks like Bill Gates who for all intents and purposes, by the way, has been pretty spot on with everything he's predicted. And that's a hint for those of you who want to see what's around the corner. He says, we're not looking till the end of 2021, 2022 until we get to quote normalcy. And what that looks like, it's going to be the new normal. That might make you angry or depressed. Those are the next two stages of grief. You have to like, you have to get through that. Like the loss of my way of life, the fact I'm not going to go to Disney World and my vacations are gone and the fact that this and this happened and, and my little comforts, it's like, man, the fact I can't go to the gym, I can't exercise, all these little things. 
And so I had a little stage of depression, not like weeks, thankfully, because you and I talked about, and hopefully get to talk about a little bit of the strategies that we need to have in place. Because over the last 18 years, I've developed strategies to help me when crisis happens, I get in crisis management mode. So I'm not a, a victim of my circumstances anymore. So I had a couple days where I was just down. I was sad. I was depressed. I was like, man, this is really bad. Doom and gloom. And then I got angry. Like I got angry, like pissed off angry. And you know what? A friend of mine who's an energy healer taught me something that I forever will be grateful for. And I share this often because we are not made, we're not designed to be reservoirs of energy. And you look at a child, and I again have four of them, so I've seen it very much so, how a child processes their emotion and it's done. Like my daughter just today had a temper tantrum. Absolutely on the, you know, just absolutely beside herself. Angry, upset, just going nuts. Within two, three minutes, she processed it and it looked ugly. It wasn't happy. It wasn't fun to watch, but she got through it. We kind of helped her through it and it's back to normal. Like, like it never happened. As adults, when's the last time you're able to let the anger, the emotion, the overwhelm just flow through you? Go, go scream in a pillow. Go punch a punching bag. Go, go on a run. Do something. Let out the energy so it doesn't s- s- create stale water of bitterness in your soul. And so you have to let it process out of you. And energy is a healthy emotion as long as it goes through you, not to be a reservoir again. So I had to go through all that stuff. And then you reach this place of sweet, divine acceptance. And you're like, okay, this is out of my control. And again, this was all taught by psychologists under the context of losing a loved one, right? You lost a loved one. How many of you, and this is the other thing, how many of you, and me too, have lost and had, had and maybe grieving a dream? a business, an idea, a hope. I don't know. This year didn't turn out how I was planning on it, and I'm guessing most of you too. So when you look back, and whether it was you wanted to do this or you wanted to do that or you had all the – like look at your vision board from, nine, from last year. Like what does your vision board look like? And you might have to grieve several of the things that you weren't able to do yet because of the situation that we're in. And so anyway, it's been – a wonderful experience. And now I'm very in tune with things because it's, it's not daily, but there's a lot happening. And I'll tell you, in, in America, it's getting dangerous. I mean, there are riots, there's looting, there are killings, there's fires. I, I don't feel safe going to the city anymore. I mean, I don't. Like, I will not go to the city. And I've had to grieve that. Like, I don't have the comfort. I'm 40 years old. I've been doing living a life my whole life. I've gotten to a place where I had to grieve the loss of the freedom and the comfort to go into the city that I've enjoyed because of what's happening. So I had to kind of go through. And that was swift because not as not as sincere, not as deep a desire as maybe some other things. But again, a little bit of sadness, a little bit of anger, frustration. Then I accept it. Like, you know what? Okay, it's all right. I'll do other things. And so that's where now I'm in acceptance mode. And instead of staying at home and eating potato chips and drinking beer, 
I'm outside and I take my wife to a wonderful, beautiful gardens up north, which is away from everyone, no mask required, no violence, no rioting, no looting, and we spend an, a wonderful um, um, evening or afternoon with some dear friends and we enjoy God's nature and beautiful flowers and we start enjoying wonderful things. But you see, that's why it's so important to be in acceptance mode because if you're not, you're not going to have the, the mental capacity to find solutions to the problems that we're going through. And that's why so many people are gripped, gripped with fear, not, are even afraid to leave their home. And that's not the place that we need to be. I really appreciate your honesty. And I know that you might say it's flippant or you can judge me for what you wanted, but I really want to acknowledge you for the context of that. Because for many of us, those little things were actually the big things in our lives. And I appreciate now that those big things are little things in the context. However, they're still really special to us. But Eric, if you don't mind, so you've had a really big challenge this year. And one of the most exciting things for me this year was when I saw there was a new Netflix documentary and it was called Unwell. I was instantly intrigued. In fact, I got put onto it by someone else saying to me, oh, have you seen the first show? It's all about essential oils. And of course, you and I are both fascinated about that. What struck me, though, when I started watching it, I wasn't quite sure of the agenda. I wasn't quite sure of the context, but I, I wanted to watch it. And then I saw you and Sabrina. And I instantly stopped the show and sent you a message and just said how excited I was to see you. I hadn't watched the end of the show for a couple more days. I'd like you to explain to us what it's like to go open-hearted into doing something for the greater good, only to discover that perhaps there's an agenda you didn't even see coming. And I'd love for you to explain how you got through this process, because this has been massive, very, very big. And... As a friend of yours, I could only reach out and say to you how much I love you both, how much we really respect the work that you do. And this little blip um, wasn't such a big blip at the time, but I just want you to know that um, we really appreciate what you do in this world. So for those that don't know, would you, would you mind if it's not too hard to explain what you went through this year and how you used your repertoire of tools over 18 years of experience to really put this into play outside of the COVID-19? So and I can give a little more backstory to, I guess, ex explain the context of this, but um, I guess to cut to the chase was... When Netflix came out with that documentary series, I had no idea it was going to be what it was. And I agreed to be part of it under false pretenses. It was supposed to be something completely different. And so when I saw the video, I was like, oh, this is, this is not something a, I, I wanted to be associated with. It's not something that I feel was a fair representation of my family. Um. I really feel it was, you know, I want to be careful what I say, especially on a public situation like this, because it was something where I was really surprised to see Netflix do what they did to multi-level marketing industries and how they attacked the success of entrepreneurs, really, for the sake of health. And so... I'll say that to say my heart sunk 
when I saw the video, I was like, oh, and I'll admit I, I wasn't in a, the best state of mind. It was, I remember it was eight 30 in the morning, um, right after the kids got out of school or off to school. Um, I didn't have my, my prayer and devotional time. I, I was, you know, I, I, it was like the first thing I did. It wasn't like I was prepared emotionally, mentally to have a bomb dropped on me. It was a bomb for me, quite frankly, to see how they represented my family and all the little things that they did was, again, was not what they were supposed to, not what I agreed to. And that was a lesson learned. That was a lesson learned. Like we need to start our day right we need to start our day on the right foot. We need to do our sacred rituals before we even allow ourselves, especially before you open up your phone. And what do you think happened? Like within minutes of that documentary getting released, like my phone's blown up, my email's blown up. Like this reached tens of millions of people. It was one, the number one trending movie on Netflix for a week or so. And it was overwhelming at first to deal with that. And that was, that was hard. But what took me over the edge was the negative press that I received. And the negative press was scary because, yeah, I've had some negative press before and they can criticize me or my wife or they could say certain things. Like, I guess I'm kind of used to that, doing what I do, um, teaching people about how to use essential oils, believe it or not, is kind of controversial. And I've been called everything from a hack to um, irresponsible. Like I've been attacked by all kinds of different folks and all kinds of different avenues, but we keep what we do. We keep on serving. We keep on helping. And but the what really freaked me out was the criticism that some of the big media pieces, when they called me a coronavirus truther, and I didn't know what that was. I didn't like. I actually had to look that one up. Up until that point, I was pretty vocal and pretty active in educating people about what was happening during the pandemic. And again, I'm a, I'm a trained public health researcher. And that's something that I understand how to do. I know how to look up research studies. I know how to understand. I know how to decipher them. I know how to interpret them. I know virology. I understand how viruses work to a, a basic level where I knew something doesn't fit right here. You know, the dots aren't connecting right. We're not being told everything. And does it warrant the lockdowns? Does it warrant the mask mandates? Does it warrant? And so I just started questioning this stuff and openly. And we're thousands and thousands of people online, especially social media. My, my primary way is Facebook and Instagram. I've never received such a response of people just hungry for information contrary to the dominant narrative, like shares, unbelievable amount of information that we are sharing every day. And one thing one lady said to me, which is really humbling, one lady wrote on my Facebook page, and you know, I'm known as Dr. Z online, and she said, Dr. Z, you're the only person I trust for information during this. Like she was so overwhelmed because you have in America, right, Fox News and CNN just completely polar opposite polar opposite reporting. And you go to the BBC and then you go to Australian sources and all nothing makes sense. So what I was trying to do is I was just trying to help people educate and not be, not be gripped with paranoia, not be gripped with fear, acknowledging the threat, but trying to paint the picture of maybe what it really is instead of this, whatever it's become. And so I was being attacked now as a coronavirus truther. At the same time, several of my colleagues and friends are being threatened 
by the FDA and the FTC for making false claims on their website about coronavirus. And let me put context to this. Like this is where this, this is how bad the censorship has gotten to. Um, a friend of mine wrote an article about coronavirus, trying to educate people about what it was and said, you know, it's a good idea to boost your immune system. So he, he created a link and it was an affiliate link. So he would make money because that's how a lot of bloggers make money. He, he had an affiliate link to link to Amazon to link to vitamin C. So someone could just take a vitamin C pill. And the FTC, the Food and Trade Commission, threatened to shut him down for that. And, and I have other friends who did similar things. And so in my world, within like minutes, we have, we have censorship, we have threats, we have defaming, and I'm in the middle of all this stuff. And right around that same time, Facebook actually deplatformed me. Like they shut down my personal page with relatively no warning. And so that broke off my communication with my fans and followers. And, you know, I still don't know why. I still don't know what happened. But there was this perfect storm of just paranoia. I mean, just absolutely. Like, I didn't know what to do. I felt attacked. I felt beside myself with panic. I mean, just really honestly put, I felt myself with panic. And that was arguably the worst day of my life. And that was just about a month and a half ago. And it was challenging for a lot of reasons. And for anyone who has had that experience of any sort where there's extreme panic, you feel overwhelmed, like you you don't know what to do. The body oftentimes doesn't know how to properly respond to it. And, and the body gets into a hyper-sympathetic fight-or-flight mode. There's no rest. There's no parasympathetic, like the parasympathetic rest and digest. Um, I couldn't eat all day. Had a migraine. Um, was just the thoughts that were coming. It was just, it was a bombardment. And I got a sliver of what it's like and what it was like for me years ago. 25, 20 years ago when I dealt with panic and I had panic attacks, I had clinical depression and it reminded me, it's been a long time since I experienced anything like this. And thankfully though, over the years, I've developed my little tools and I developed my little mechanisms. And so the first thing I did was pray. The first thing I did was try to quiet my mind. The first thing I tried to do was to release and let it go because it was completely out of my control. And then I reached out to some people. And I'll say this was Sabrina. Sabrina really encouraged me to reach out to a couple key people as mentors to get some advice. And wonderfully, they helped me. They, they, they walked me through. You know, it wasn't affecting them as it was me. And the thing that we need to realize when we're in that state, panic, and you could see this. Again, the, 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 the outbreak has clearly shown that fear, panic takes us out of our rational mind completely. And so you're, you're not able to make good sound decisions in that state. And so having a support, a group of people, having a support system is key. And I did. And I, I reached out to a few, a few men that I go to in times of like crisis like that. And thankfully, it's not a lot. But having those people is, is imperative. 
And your wife, your spouse, your husband can help. Um, I think to a certain extent, but you're also so close to them and they're also so part of it too. It's hard for them to look at something objectively as well. But having the support system. And then, you know, I, I resigned to the fact I'm nauseous, literally nauseous. And I'm like, you know what? Let's take this as a fast. Let's give my body a break for a minute. And that's the other thing too. Instead of racing to things like the nicotines, like I used to, the caffeines, the things, especially anything that's exciting. I mean, you want to stay away from nicotine. You want to stay away from caffeine. You want to stay away from anything that could, that could trigger any more anxiety because that's what the body does. Even if it's a cup of green tea, I, I would stay away from it because anything at that point can just take you over the edge. And so I just resigned to just drink some water, herbal teas, non-caffeinated, and I used the essential oils that were, I don't even remember what essential oils they were, but definitely ylang lang and lavender, like your neroli nights. We love that blend, wonderful blend. Um, something like that, like neroli, um, happy mood-boosting essential oils. And I started using the essential oils. I applied them topically on my body. I had my aromatherapy diffuser going. and I went out, you know, at one point I, I, I made myself go outside too. I made myself because you don't feel like it. You just want to stay in bed and have a pity party. So I made myself go outside, get some fresh air, get some sun. Thankfully it was a sunny day. And so a lot of these things, quite frankly, I, I, I went through the motions and it wasn't like an immediate relief, but I was able to sleep good decently that night. And the next day it wasn't as bad. And then I did a lot of the same things, you know, other things too, as they come to me. Um, actually, I have a, a sauna and thankfully I have an infrared sauna. So I did some sauna time and um, try to do a little bit of exercise time, just anything I could do, get out for a walk. And I was intentional to try to be, a, to be active with my family too. And that was something good to get myself out of my own mind to help others, whether it was whatever, helping my son with his homework or whatever it might be. And so after, you know, a couple of days, it was like it never happened, but the scars were there. And now a month and a half later, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I can't watch the video. I don't want to watch it. It was it, to say it was traumatic to me. I, I don't think is an understatement. And I don't know if I'll ever want to watch the movie again, quite frankly. Um, I didn't enjoy it. I really didn't. I was really disappointed at the movie at, at itself, but what it did to me, I'm not at that place where I want to even experience it because I actually did click a couple things and it triggered something like, ah, you know what? I'm not there right now. And I'm okay with that. You know, I've accepted that. But having those little tools and having the strategies that I do and knowing what to stay away from. And I'll never forget a, a pharmacist told me that the worst thing someone can do during a panic attack is go get a cigarette. And it was an interesting conversation because I was working at the bar smoking at the time, telling him I had panic. He goes, you know, the worst thing for you to do is smoking. I just remember that. I was 19 years old, vivid memory, unbelievable how foolish I was back then, um, trying to get that little high, that little whatever feeling, but that was so counterproductive. And so over the years, I've learned those things that can trigger and not, and you know, having again, I can't stress having again, those things available to you and allowing yourself the grace to go through it. And you know, if you are going through a state right now, giving yourself the peace and, and the sacred space to get through what you have to get through. And the, here's the key, having the right people around you, 
because a lot of people can't handle that kind of stuff. And I only had about a half a dozen people that I would really even want to be able to talk to and trust that they could help me in that situation. And I've noticed, especially with the folks that email us, because again, we have, we have, you know, five and a half, six million people that visit our websites. We get lots of emails and things. People are just, they're, they're lost, a lot of them, and beside themselves, desperate for help, and they're willing to get help anywhere. That's not safe. That's not healthy. You need to be able to go to a place, a safe place to land, because a lot of folks aren't able or trained or qualified to walk you through a state of crisis. And that's something where if you don't have one, try to seek one out, whether it's a local organization, a crisis hotline, a rabbi, a pastor, a priest, a shaman, someone that you could trust, someone that you know will give you good, sound wisdom. Um, easier said than done. You know, sometimes a close friend, but oftentimes it's not your mother and oftentimes it's not your spouse and oftentimes it's not your neighbor because those folks are dealing with their own stuff. They can't handle what you're dropping on them. And I'll never forget when we lost a baby. We lost her fourth baby. Sabrina had um, a partial molar pregnancy and the baby, you know, I forget what term. I think it was the second term. And I, you know, people asked, like, how was the baby? And, you know, how do you say, like, we lost the baby? Like, they couldn't handle it. And it was like, I dropped the bomb on them and I had to comfort them. You know, it was like, they're like beside themselves. Like, uh, 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 and, and they started starting over their words. Or, oh, I'm so sorry. Like it was so uncomfortable that I learned how to guide them through. Like I had to help them get through that where, you know, my wife and I needed to be supported. And so I just realized that most people and myself included, unless I'm trained and prepared, most people are not able to help walk people through these really tough times. So. Looking back, I'm grateful for the experience and I learned some things and I'm still in the process of grieving many different things, yet I'm always looking toward the prize, the prize of acceptance, the prize of thriving, the prize of being a source of hope and light because my, my life has a meaning and I take these experiences, you know, as trivial as they might sound or as, as significant as, as they may be to me, um, they can make us into better people or they could cause us to go into a hole that I don't want to go into. I just want to say thank you for sharing that. And, you know, after hearing things that you guys have been through and being judged and criticized and threatened and all the different things you've experienced, I know a lot of people that put themselves out there to share for often a noble cause and for the greater good, you realize the bigger you get and the more you give, it also opens up the possibility for more conflict or contrast of that love. Do you think they're our greatest teachers as well? Do you think they're an opportunity for expansion and forgiveness and love and all the things you've talked about? I mean, none of us escape those. They're just varying levels, right? You know, one could say you're only as strong as the last crisis that you just went through, in a sense. If we embrace these moments that make us stronger, more resilient. Um, you know, oh, who was it? My nutrition professor in school. He said something that forever marked me because 
a lot of folks, a lot of doctors go into medicine or chiropractic or aromatherapy, a lot of healers go into it, um, you know, for, for a good job. I mean, they want to help people. But my professor told us the best doctor, the most compassionate doctor are those that know what it's like being sick. And it takes what's in the head, the head knowledge, and puts it in the heart. And that's where you could really truly practice healing. And so what good are we to people if we don't know what it's like to struggle? If we can't empathize, like the whole world is going through a crisis right now, a crisis and crises of varying types. And it doesn't look, look like it's going to end anytime soon. And the residual effects are going to reverberate for many years, many, many years of what's happening. Like the economic turmoil alone, the lost jobs and businesses, that's going to affect people for potentially the rest of their lives. And so how can we best support them if we don't know what it's like even stubbing our toe? And so that's something that I've, I've learned and I'm trying to embrace. And, you know, as a Christian, he, the story of Christ is interesting because right after Christ was baptized, you look at the story, even from a historical perspective, it's interesting, right? Right after he was baptized and the, the dove, the, the sign of the Holy Spirit lightens on his shoulder, he was immediately led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And he didn't eat or drink for 40 days. And he went through this gruesome experience that no one really, really can truly understand and know. Like, why would he have to go through that before he was able to then embark on a three-year ministry that changed the world? Whether you're a Christian or not, it's changed the world forever, what Christ did, what Jesus did in those three years. But he had to go through this experience at first. And some say it's a markup. It's like a rite of passage. Some say it's you have to go through that, and the greater the calling, the greater the suffering. I don't know, but I'll tell you, I'm grateful for the experience because it was a wonderful learning lesson, but it also reaffirmed what I'm able to withhold and withstand. And then from that, and I should say this, from that experience, you know, I've learned to apologize even more thoroughly and not be ashamed. And People can go to my website, naturallivingfamily.com, and, and I posted where, you know, I made an insensitive comment. I made a mistake, and we could talk all about how or why, but I got to say, I am not media trained. I, I have the utmost respect for people that have gone through training. I mean, I'm just, I'm just Eric from Atlanta, Georgia here, trying to help people, and I've never been walked through. What do you do with media? What do you do when you're on camera? Like, there are people who pay big dollars to teach them how to respond. And so when an interviewer or, you know, when, when she or he are baiting you, you know, how do you respond to that? So anyway, I said a couple things and the thing that I recognized and I started getting criticized, like tons of criticism online for it that was going viral. I apologized. I'm like, you know what? I messed up. I shouldn't have said it. It was an insensitive thing or whatever it might've been. I've learned, like I told, you know, like the experience with my son and with myself, being quick to apologize, it's also the best way to diffuse the fire. It's the best way to diffuse the anger. Like, what can someone do? What, chastise me more? I'm sorry. Like, I'm legitimately sorry. 
And that's another thing because our human nature is to defend ourselves and justify. And all that does is cause more problems. All that does is cause more problems. If you want freedom, apologize. Just apologize. And it needs to be sincere. It needs to be, you need to realize you made a mistake. I mean, come on. And when you do, you're done. And the thing is, again, it diffuses. It's, it's like water poured on a fire. And yeah, some people can try to keep on digging up the dirt, but it's like, look, he apologized. He made a mistake. I mean, that's the best thing you do. But in, And I've seen this time and time again during this crisis. Like, How many times is, are we catching people, politicians and government agencies, and lies? No one's apologizing about this stuff. They're, they're, there's so many things. Like The CDC just reported something, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, like what America hangs on the thread for, for health advice. They literally just published something three days ago that they retracted completely within a day because it created so much storm about how the virus spreads. And they said, oh, it wasn't an apology even. It was a, oh, that was, that was done in error. That was a draft. We shouldn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, we're sorry. It wasn't like an admission of guilt. It wasn't a place of humility. That's what we're not seeing right now. We're not seeing the, the humility of like, you know, we're making mistakes. We have no idea what's happening. Like how great would it be to hear someone say, you know, we really don't know what's happening right now. Like we really don't know where we're really building the ship as we fly it and we're trying our best and I am making mistakes and you know what? I'm sorry for making these mistakes. How many people would you win over and earn respect, especially the government officials, especially the influencers, especially the people that have voices and realizing, you know what? I shouldn't have said that instead of placing the blame or trying to sweep it under the rug. So that was a great learning lesson for me. It's like, you know what? I couldn't apologize quick enough. And, and call it self-love, call it selfishness. It was a lot of self-love there. Like I wanted to get it off my balance sheet and I wanted to recognize that, you know what, I'm going to own up to things. And I've had so many people say, oh, you didn't need to apologize about anything. It was fine. Well, okay. But you know what? You know, I, I said a thing or two that might've been offensive to people and it did offend a person or two. And like, if I offend one person, I need to apologize for that and not say blankety blank. You just got to blankety blank. And again, this, this lesson in humility, and that's something that often we're not seeing right now. And it's something that we need more than ever. We need more than ever the humility of being fallible, of being people that make mistakes and giving ourselves and others the grace to make mistakes. And I'm, you know, knowing what I know of what's happening, especially in Australia and other countries, Imagine if your government official said, you know what, we're sorry, we, we made a mistake. Like, wow, let's go forward and make this right. I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing the attacks and I'm seeing them reinforcing and getting more prideful and fighting and less more lockdowns, more restrictions, more this. It's like, it's a battle and it's all pride. And so I don't want any pride taking me away. And I don't care what people say about me. Really, at the end of the day, I, I care about what, my God says about me, my wife, my family, my friends, I want to be an honorable person, but the haters will hate, the trolls will troll, and we can't live for them. We have to live for the people that want to hear us, and we need to do our best, and all this is part of self-love. All this is part of how we thrive, not just 
survive during these times of crisis. Amazing. I took from you, believe it or not, I feel like you've given 10 steps for self-love. And I want to read this back to you to make sure I've got it right. And I think we could all take something from this. Um, The first thing you said as far as going through tough times or, you know, through struggle or challenge or whatever it is we want to call it, is we must do our sacred rituals first thing in the morning before we pick up our phone, before we do anything with that. We really, really must do our sacred rituals. That's our anchor really when you think about it. The second thing you said was prayer, meditation, your spiritual work, your centering, your grounding, that moment where you allow your mind to be fully present and connected to the source that you truly believe in, I think is magical. That's part of our morning rituals, but it's a really important one. It deserves its own right of place. Number three was the power in getting outside. Even if in lockdown we can be outside and feel Mother Nature touch a tree, pick a flower, look at nature, sit with the sun on our bare skin, allow our bodies to do what they were designed to do, and that is to absorb the beautiful rays of the sunlight, then even that can help us both mentally, physically, and spiritually. Number four, which I'm going to come back to, but you made a real point about using our oils, and I feel very passionate about this particular one because it's been my anchor all my life for three decades. It's my go-to and I want to come back to that one with you in a moment. Number five is infrared sauna if we have the possibility of doing that. But I would imagine using the same thing like turning the shower to cold just before you hop out. It's about Mm -hmm. um, changing our body temperature. And so if you don't have the ability to have an infrared sauna or get to one, then there's real work around Wim Hof and people like that with the breath work and the body work with changing our temperature, turning the shower to cold for the last 30 seconds is one of the greatest ways to stimulate our immune system and also burn what's called brown fat and also to really boost our own personal ability to fight off disease and illness and to give ourselves the best opportunity. And of course, and amongst that, um, I would like to add that, you know, uh, the next one, which was exercise and movement, being active with your family, we could add into that also eating nutritional foods, you know, getting close to nature. I had a girlfriend whose daughter was seven when she said, and this is a great way to sum it up, God made all the healthy stuff, all the rest is junk. And when she said that at seven, I think that's a great way to to enhance that. So anything from nature, getting food as close to its natural source is how we can nourish our bodies. And of course, moving our bodies, being active with our family is just such a great way to release those endorphins, to help our serotonin, to increase our ability to sleep better is just so powerful. The next thing you said, number seven, which I thought was really important, is you said help others And I I think the other word we could use there is serve. Um, What can I do to serve my community, my family, my partner, myself? How do I serve another human in the face of adversity? And sometimes by helping others, it actually in turn creates this beautiful relationship of service to oneself. We feel good when we help another person or say something nice. It could just be picking up the phone. It could be sending a beautiful email. It could be dropping a meal to a neighbor. It could be, there's a multitude of ways in which we can serve each other. But one of the ways that perhaps you and I do it is through podcasts or education and of course through um, our sharing of knowledge is a beautiful way to serve our community number eight i love this one 
know what to stay away from. And I think that's a really powerful tip in reality of going through a crisis or a challenge is know what doesn't serve you, know what is the better thing for you. And sometimes that's staying away from mainstream anything. Number nine, give yourself the grace, the peace and the sacred space to get through what you're going through. We may not be able to rush these things, but if you have patience and kindness and reverence and love, then absolutely there is only one way up and out of this, and that's to get through it. And number 10, which I really appreciated, was the right people. Surround yourself with the right people to support you to get through a crisis. I hope I did you justice there. Eric, because I found those were really powerful go-tos in any time of crisis, whether it's something like what the world is going through or whether it's a personal crisis, I think they could be applied in all areas. Would that be fair? That's wonderful. That's perfect. Oh, you're That's a perfect. darling. Well, let's go back to the number four, the oils, something that brought you and I together many years ago. Um, I had a dream of connecting with you. I had a dream of speaking with you. I had a dream and I told beautiful James Colquhoun from Food Matters that you were one of my greatest heroes and I was so desperately keen to meet with you and to then speak on the platform on Food Matters and be on the same platform as you is just something I really hold and would say to anybody when you have a vision and a goal and a dream, don't be afraid to share it. And I feel very grateful for that. Our love of essential oils is extraordinary. Could you tell us in your heart, heart of hearts what led you into essential oils what is your favorite historical story when it comes to essential oils and how do you see their place in today's world? So essential oils, it's interesting in my story that they weren't part of my initial healing. Um, I was sick. I was, I was, I was chronically ill and, and I'm very much passionate about the low-grade sickness that oftentimes gets masked with alcohol and drugs and pharmaceuticals that, you know, isn't necessarily deadly, but it will rip and kill the abundant life that can happen every day. And that's what leads people to depression. That's what leads people to anxiety and panic attacks. And and I had horrible skin. I had horrible gut health. I had just just chronic indigestion. I had chronic depression. I I was just unwell. I mean, at one point where you know, I started toying around in my head about what would look, what life would look like without me in it, and that would be defined as suicide ideation. No, I never went through with anything, but you know, when you start thinking like that repeatedly over a period of time, that's unhealthy. And so, when I had my spiritual epiphany and I became a Christian, I was rec- I recognized that my body is a temple; it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. I need to take care of it. And so my mentor guided me through a series of just just life changes and, and included just eating well and exercising and mind-body practices. And, and so wonderful things. My life changed and I became well. But one thing that I never had was a toolkit for those issues that I didn't know what to do with, like a headache, pain athlete's foot. I mean, you name it, a cut, a bruise. And I was so convinced that 
medicine should only be used for, in my opinion, still, it should only be used for emergency situations. I just grin and bear it. So whenever I would have a headache, I would just not do anything for it and I would just suffer through it. And instead of having a remedy, I wouldn't even touch an aspirin. That, that, that's where I was because I, I was convinced that, that that wasn't right for my body. And so I never really had a, a, a medicine cabinet at all. Like literally, like I, all I had in my medicine cabinet was toothpaste and that was in my medicine cabinet. And so I always longed for something. That's what the gateway was for me in essential oils because it really was um, an infection that I developed. And I didn't really want to go get the antibiotic. I didn't want to go do this. I didn't want to get a spray or a lotion or whatever, you know, and I didn't want to do that. Um, I knew there was something in nature and I wasn't really familiar with herbalism. And at the time, you know, my wife has been using essential oils since she was been a teenager. And, you know, oftentimes as wives do, they, they don't beat you over the head with things, but you know, she'll plant her little seeds and she does her stuff. And so I would go to her like, well, what do you think about this? And she'd give me an idea or I'd try it or something along those lines. And it really was an experience where I needed to see it happen first until I could really believe it. And so I started looking into essential oils and, and at around the same time, I was a medical writer at the time, one of my clients commissioned me to write a series of public health reports on oils. So it was my job to look at how oils affected human physiology. And I read hundreds of studies. I was like, wow, this really makes sense. So it reached me as like, you know, I'm a critical thinker by nature. So it reached my mind. And then I started seeing it in practice. And then I saw what Sabrina did, and this really what, what got it. Sabrina, my wife, when my daughter had a 104 temperature, I'm freaking out. Like, what do you do? You use a baby aspirin, you take her to the hospital, like 104. That's, that's a temperature that most people will go to the emergency room for. She got some peppermint oil. She got some orange essential oil, a little bit of coconut oil on her hand as a, to dilute it. And she just gave the baby a baby. You know, Esther was like um, 11 months old at the time. She gave her a, a back rub and a head rub and a foot rub. And within about 20 minutes, her temperature dropped to about 101 or so. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, the next day, the temperature was, um, you know, still in the 100 plus-ish, 101, and, and she did it again. And it would drop down to 99. Like, wow. And the next day, she was completely normal. And I was like, this is unbelievable. I mean, to have that where we're out, when I was raised, I would have taken a baby aspirin or we would have gone and had a Motrin or we would have gone and gotten an antibiotic and that just ruins your gut. And that's the situation I'm in because I had so many chronic antibiotics and I had so many chronic infections when I was a kid. I don't want to do that to my body again. I don't want to do that to my baby's body. So I had the revelation like, wow, this stuff is really powerful. And that was years ago. I mean, that, that was about 10 years ago, actually 11, because Esther just turned 12. So that was 11 years ago. And I saw this. And so that just put an indelible mark on me. That put an indelible mark on me. Like, you know, there is plant-based medicine. And it kind of goes back to your historical question, because there's a verse in the Bible that really defines what I've done and what I've devoted my life to the last six years. And it's in the book of Revelation that says, it talks about, you know, the new heaven, the new Jerusalem like what happens in the next stage of life. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And then looking at my wife, looking at my daughter, looking at my own experience, 
And just having this just natural inclination that, you know what, I'd rather do something natural first. And if I need to, thank God there's medicine. I mean, really, I get it. And I want to stress the importance of if you have nothing else at your disposal and if you're at your wit's end, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. And especially coming from a state of depression and suicidal thoughts, I'd much rather someone get on a, a pharmaceutical to save their life, but under the pretenses that it's temporary. Because you don't need to be on something like that to make you numb. I know what it's like to be numb. It's the worst feeling in the world. Essential oils will never make you feel numb. A drug will make you feel numb. And so all the dots kind of piece together. And going back to, you know, again, our, our faith and what we do essentially as, as biblical health educators, I'm like, wow, this is like all made sense. And it's like all the stars aligned. And it was like the mission, the purpose, the life, the reality. And what we started to do, we just started blogging. I mean, no one knew us. No one knew me from Adam. No one knew my wife. We just started blogging in our own little rental home that we had and just started sharing some of the recipes and things that we used. And it took off like, like a fairy tale. I mean, here I am, you know, with a international bestseller and my third book on the way. And to think that, you know, people can see us and this is what I was trying to share on the Netflix video because they asked me, like, why do you think so many people follow you? Well, because, you know, we're family. I mean, we're, we're like the family next door. Uh, we're not the rich and famous. We're people that we, get, we make mistakes, we have issues, we have four kids, and we want to figure this out, and, and we're doing our best. So it's been, to me, I know the word empowering has kind of become cliche in, in the multi-level marketing space about oils, but really is. I mean, it's life-changing where you have something at your disposal. And I'll say for my wife, she's Dr. Mom. And she knows nine times out of 10 what to do for aches or for sprains. I mean, when poor Elijah broke his collarbone, she immediately knew, you know, she added some special essential oil blend with Arnica and with some other things. And she created her bone healing serum. I mean, just, I don't know where it came from, like in her spirit intuition as a healer, as a mother. And my son's bone is fractured, absolutely fractured collarbone healed within a week and a half, two weeks. It should have been six weeks. Like, that's our thing. When Sabrina lost the baby I talked about earlier through um, partial molar pregnancy, the problem is a precancerous condition because the human, um, um, the, the HCG levels, the pregnancy hormone levels are so high after you lose a baby like that, it takes up to six months for the body to normalize. It took her six weeks. Why? Because she had her clary sage and geranium and ylang ylang and lavender on hand and she did other things with herbs and other things with foods. So I've really come to respect and honor, and I got to say for what it is, the honor of the healing mother, the honor of, the, of, of woman's intuition that I recognize that I'm telling you, I don't have it. I just don't have it. It's just not in my makeup. And maybe some men do, and that's not to discourage you men listening, but to honor the women in our lives who I believe, I believe it's a gift, and I believe it's what God gave women to care for their babies that they birth. And that's something too. My wife is nine and a half months pregnant. We can have a baby any minute right now. She is this baby's life source. And when the baby comes out, she's going to nurse this baby. And she's going to completely sustain this baby's life. I'm there to rub her feet and to change diapers. 
right? I can't do that. I don't have the physiology. I don't have the plumbing to do that. I cannot feed my baby like that. The most precious healing food on the planet, breast milk. I've just, I've so honored. And you look at history, you look at how ancient civilization honors women and using phrases like goddess and healer, and, and it makes sense. And so for me, I feel, I, I feel blessed because behind me is a woman who knows more about essential oils than I probably ever will, and a woman who knows more about healing. And I get a lot of the credit because, quite frankly, I'm a pretty good writer. I mean, that's what I'm trained to do. And she's not a writer, but I include all of her recipes in the book. And I'll say this too, it's kind of funny because she was such a pivotal part. Oh, I got to be careful. I don't want to get in trouble, but she was such a pivotal part of my first book. My publisher didn't want her on my first book. Why? Because there's no doctor before her name and I'm the doctor and I'm the one with, I'm the one out there. And I'm like, you don't understand who my wife is. And I'm like, just just trust me, you know? So I, I gave her all the credit in the world in the acknowledgement section. My first book crushed it. It was just an unbelievable bestseller. We've sold over 100,000 copies. It's enough. It will be in seven different languages. It's already in four different languages. And when the publisher's like, hey, you want another book? I'm like, yeah, but you know what? I'm not going to sign. And I told this, oh, don't, my agent better not kill me. I told my agent, do not give me a contract unless my wife's name on it. I won't even sign it. And so that started the next book series with my wife and now the third book. And now she's part of the, she's part of the system. And unfortunately, you know, you play the game and the credentials, the letters after the name, the doctor, whatever the comma, dot, 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 that makes that, that, that moves the needle for people. But you know what? The most intelligent, the most wise, the most knowledgeable people I know our moms that don't get any credit in the world, but they keep their families healthy. They keep their families strong. And it's about having that healthy dynamic, a man knowing his role, a woman knowing her role, and, and together defining what that role looks like so you both feel equal and loved and appreciated. And so the reality is I defer to her. I mean, even now, people it's so funny. I'm known as the guru. No, I, I'm a writer. I'm a researcher. And my wife is the one who really knows and she implements this and she's taught me so much. Yeah, I, I can quote research and, you know, I got a couple of tricks up my sleeve, so to speak, but it's a family dynamic. And so for us, it's a way of life. And at first I fought it. At first I was like, I don't need that smelly stuff. You know, I'm not going to go play beach volleyball with my friends smelling like Ylang Lang. I mean, you know, they'll take my guy card away for crying out loud. You know, I, I was careful about that stuff. I really was. I was cognizant of that. I don't care now. I've, I've succumbed. I've surrendered. <laughs> and I got to say, I wish my wife were with me. I know you're going to be interviewing her in a couple of days here, but, um, you know, I know my place and I'm here to support her. I really am. And especially with the birth, it's just really real right now because we're getting, we're about to deliver our fifth baby. I'm here to support her, to give life and to support life to my children. And that's a beautiful place to be. Yeah. It's, and it's a miracle and it's a blessing and it's a privilege and denied to quite a lot these days, sadly, um, as you would know. I remember seeing Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride interviewed once and she said the most fundamental thing we can do to heal a nation is for women to get back in the kitchen. And she wasn't saying that to demoralize women or to demean our role in the feminine way, but she was saying if we could just cook 
from from scratch again yes. and, and make stocks and broths and, and foods made from nature, then we would have the most powerful way to heal our nation. Talk to us about the two books and how we can get hold of them. I mean, you mentioned book. I want to, I don't want to misquote it. I wasn't supposed to have a women's health section. I was only supposed to have a chapter about women's health. And, and my first book is um, The Healing Power of Essential Oils. And I started diving into the research and again, talking to Sabrina. I mean, the whole birth section, labor and delivery is just the recipes that she used for labor and delivery. Um, I stumbled upon this quote from Michelle Obama and it struck, it made me stop and really made me think and really it really made me acknowledge areas where I took this for granted. And I think as a people, we need to recognize, in her words, communities and countries and ultimately the world are only as strong as the health of their women. And that's how I began, that's how I began part three of my book, talking about women's health and how important it is, how vitally important from an evolutionary perspective, from a health perspective, from a socioeconomic perspective, from the family unit perspective, and communities and countries and ultimately the world are only as strong as the health of their women. And so I'm assuming, you know, most people listening are women and, and most people follow our work are women. I mean, 75, 80% of all of our subscribers and people that visit our website are women. And so this is the challenge to women. I mean, really, to serve the world and to help the world, we need to make sure that we're healthy and strong, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, and especially women. And so for those men listening, you know, what can you do to support the woman or the woman in your life? That, that's a good question to have. And that's a good question to keep in the forefront of your mind, especially if you're married or if you live with someone, because they're very special women. And what they've been given is sacred. Certain things that we don't have, we'll never have. And we need to honor and respect that. And we need to cherish women in, in, a, in a vital way not only as equals, and I think that's too cliche at this point, but we need to. We need to acknowledge and to understand their role. And I would even say, you know, what's more important? Going out and spending six months with your friends, killing the bison to bring back the meat, or staying at home and nurturing and caring for the children and raising them up, which is the next generation. Like that's what historically the roles look like. Now it's a little bit different, and I understand that. But I think it's important to realize, though, that that yearning is in a lot of women and to be the mother. And you know what Sabrina said when we got married? I want to be home with the children. And so that put a burden on me to provide in a way where, you know, I don't have income other than my own that I have to provide for. But that was in me. And I believe that's my gift. That's my role. And that's what we we worked out. We defined. And, and we struggled. I mean, we had some really tough times. You know, we had some really strappy times, but it also ultimately brought us closer together and we appreciate where we're at. So I want to encourage us to be as strong as we can and especially to acknowledge the mothers, 
and the mother figures in our lives, because a lot of people don't have mothers, but they have mother figures, so to speak, right? To acknowledge the women and the mentors and the people that are the nurturers, because that love, that connection to raise the next generation, to be respectful and honorable and self-loving, it's a family dynamic that we need to continue because that's ultimately what's being attacked right now. I know it's not the answer to the question that you asked me, you know, but how important is it? And it's all under the guise of self-love. And so women, if you are unfortunately in a situation where you're married to or living with a partner that doesn't honor or respect that, you know, um, you need to do what you got to do to take care of yourself. And that's hard for a lot of women, I've noticed too. You need to do what you got to do. And it's something I've seen about my wife. Her self-care is sacred time. And she does not negotiate unless it's absolutely necessary. And I've learned to support her through whatever it is that she does. And she does a lot of different things for self-care. But I've learned to support her, especially because you know she doesn't have the outlet that I have through work. And work is very much as an outlet. You know, doing this, like I'm technically working right now. Well, it's kind of a fun job. Get to talk with my friend about experiences and hopefully bless people with our experiences. She doesn't get a lot of that. So I try to more so go out of my way to give her the freedom and to support her to do what she needs. But you know what? At one point, I wasn't supportive. I really wasn't. At one point, I was not the husband I needed to be to support my queen, my bride. And so she loved me through it but she also took care of herself. And, and as angry as I was, as bitter as I was, or jealous that she gets to do whatever and I was stuck at the office or whatever it was, I've come to honor and respect that. And we've come full circle now that we've been married for about, what, about um, almost 14 years. So anyway, you know, if an old crotchety guy like me with a hard heart towards luxuries or self-care, whatever that might look like for you, um, can get, be turned around and, and I just want to encourage you to be patient and to love, but love yourself. And through that, you can love and support. And I do believe that it really all starts at home, which starts in the heart. So true. I had a, I've been working on this for quite some time, Eric, looking at the role that men and women play and, maybe even took it to another level where I looked at the masculine and feminine energy, knowing that we can each interplay the roles. But you've mentioned the words and it just confirmed for me that I believe the feminine role at her quintessential best is to nourish and nurture her family. Nourish and nurture is what we do naturally and it's something that we feel very honoured to do when we're really in touch with it. And for the masculine energy, I've always felt that they're at their quintessential best when they're providing and protecting. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean to say women can't provide and protect or men can't nourish and nurture, but when we acknowledge those roles very much along what you're saying, there is a beautiful um, connection of two amazing people to head and lead a family for the next generation, which is one of the greatest gifts we can leave this planet. So I want to I want to thank you for that and really thank you for honoring the work that so many amazing women do out there. And I just want to give it back because the amount of men that honor us women in that way equally deserve the same respect and equally we revere 
the roles and the the places that they come from and and appreciate that sometimes it's not easy to understand each other at different times so it's a constant conversation it's a constant um, dance and it's a constant learning and, and expansion and awareness and personal there's nothing like a marriage for a personal development course so <laughs> I just want to say thank you for that the words were just so beautiful so Dr. Eric for us to follow you where could we go well my website naturallivingfamily.com is a great place to start great yeah. place to start and check out the resources and the recipes and all the fun little stuff, inspiration that we have. And, and, and drop us a line. Let us know that you heard from us on this podcast and, and anything we can let, do for you or support you. Just let my team know. And, and we are here to serve. We really are. And are you been, back on social media? Um, yes. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm treading lightly. I am very much treading lightly right now, but yeah, there are links on my website of how to reach me social media. Um, you know, I'm, I'm finding my role. I'm finding my place. And you mentioned something in my, my thought when you're, we were talking about the dynamic is, um, you know, the single moms out there and the women that are alone and, and, you know, you're torn, you're torn in both directions and to know your role in life is so key. And at times your role might be ambiguous. And so, you know, in this point, my role is a little bit ambiguous. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing right now online, but I'm going to continue serving and sharing and being inspirational. But yeah, I'm there. I really am. And, and I would encourage everyone listening, you know, what's your role and, and finding your role and fulfilling it is so key. And, you know, to acknowledge the single moms out there, if you are a single mother and if you find yourself struggling, which many do that I've spoken to and I've worked with over the years, you know, if you feel on your heart, you want to be the nourisher, if you want to be the healer, but you also are the provider. And, but you know what? You need to give yourself space to at least have an outlet. And that's where taking your, you know, your essential oil course or buying your essential oils and experimenting with them and working with your children and making that like family time, like be creative in how you can tap into and release what's on your heart. And that's the problem that a lot of folks have and the frustration of life is like you have a yearning desire, but no outlet, like having an outlet and no better way than to cook with your children at home and to spend some time with them and to teach them things, start a little garden or get a couple pots in the plants in the house or experiment and start using essential oils. Um, these are great ways of giving, if you feel, if you align with what we're talking about, the nourisher, the healer, like that's ways of satisfying that. And then maybe you'll have an opportunity to dive more into that. But that's really important, I think, to acknowledge that and 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 to feed in a sense, because otherwise there'll be a gaping hole in your soul that might eat away at you. And so I don't want that to happen to you. And so um, it's so important. It's so important to listen, to hear, and to follow. And, and once you start surrendering is a good word to this. Once you start surrendering to these wonderful intuitive desires that you have, you'll find like this well of life springing up inside of you. And, and there's a lot of joy in that, a lot of peace. 
Dr. Eric Zielinski, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. The last couple of hours that we've spent together has been some of the best. And I just want to say, my friend, I really appreciate you. I'm really grateful to your openness, your honesty, your integrity, and your vulnerability. It's been a real pleasure. And I wish you and Sabrina all the best with the birth of this beautiful number five to you and your beautiful children. I just want to say thank you from my heart to yours. You're welcome. And thank you, Kim. You're the best. Much love to you and your listeners. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.